Welcome, everyone, to the CavsCorner.com podcast. CavsCorner.com, your source for Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com, coming to you live from the Palatial Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, November the 18th. It's my sister's birthday. Happy birthday, Christy. Um, I, I, it's not a whole lot to talk. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't even do it with a straight face. We have lots to, to talk about tonight, obviously. Uh, Virginia football got a win last weekend, is preparing for Abilene Christian this weekend, but that's not really what we're going to spend the bulk of this show talking about. Obviously, with the transfer of Jawan Briggs, the former four-star Rivals 100 defensive tackle. So we will get into that, and then also Virginia basketball is going to tip off its season um, a week from this afternoon, right? So we probably – I haven't decided yet if we'll, we'll record one on Tuesday night and drop it on Wednesday morning or if we'll record Wednesday night and talk about that game. Um but we're going to talk about this will essentially count as a quasi preseason hoops podcast. Um, we won't go through the schedule because who knows what that even will look like. But we're going to talk a little bit about just sort of, um, you know, what what we're looking for from this team and such. Uh, before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. Uh, first up in uh, Fishersville, David Spence is back on the show. How's it going, my friend? It's going pretty well, man. There, there's a train passing by, and it's like 30 degrees here in the valley, so my house sounds like it's shaking. That's just what happens when you live on a rocky rocky hill in the in the Shenandoah Valley. Uh, who Dave's on the board, at Who Dave's on Twitter. I really hope that there are, like, randos right now who are thinking, all right, where are the train tracks in the Shenandoah Valley so they can try to <laughs> find all uh, Shea place, Spence. Uh, up in Arlington, staff writer Justin Ferber, also on this year program. What's going on, my dude? Yeah, if you hear any strange noises from here in the next 45 minutes to an hour, it's probably because the Wizards, you know, did something dumb in the draft. Um, but, yeah, I'm, that's about it going on here. Not too much else. So, add Justin underscore for everyone on Twitter. And Cavs Corner, also on the Twitter uh, machine. Cavs underscore Corner, great place for the in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, all right, let's do this. Let's start with Abilene Christian. And I don't mean this as any disrespect to the Wildcats and their program and such. Um, but I don't think anybody's really listening uh, to the show today whenever they are listening to it uh, for hard-hitting analysis on how UVA, you know, compares, um, you know, in terms of the X's and O's. Um, the line, I believe, last I saw it was 39 and a half. Uh, I'm going to defer to one of you guys to update me on that situation. Um, but I'm going to uh, guess correct. that it's basically still the same. All right, good. So in the preseason, Dave, we'll start with you. Um, in this game, you had Virginia winning at 41-17. Do you think that you want to stick with that, or should you spread it out a little bit more? Uh, I think I should probably add about 20 points for Virginia, but I'm not. Um, I'm going to go 50. Uh, let's go. What are, I'm going to go 59-24. I think they will score because yeah, I think we're going to – they like to throw the ball some, but – um, 59-24, who's. All right, Ferber, in the preseason, uh, you had this thing 52-17. to 17. You typically like to stick with these things. What do you think? Yeah, I have no reason to change it. Um, Abilene Christian, you know, they're not at the same level as some of the other FCS programs that UVA's faced in recent years, so if that's what you're expecting, they're probably not going to be quite that good. Um, I mean, they've they've been – somewhat competitive I guess in some of their games um they played four I think uh they lost to a d2 school in their last game so um that d2 school ran for 400 yards <laughs> so I think I'm just gonna stick with the score as is 52 17 sounds about right to me yeah um <laughs> it it still feels very strange uh to pick a game with the kind of uh spread that I'm about to pick a game but that's just the nature of this beast right uh, in the preseason, I had Virginia winning this thing 55-3, to and I'm going to keep that. Um, not necessarily because I don't think Abilene Christian can score some points, but I think that like this is a this is a pin-the-tail-on-the-donkey kind of situation. Uh, the margin is going to be really big. Um, the only question for me about this game is how soon uh, Lindell Stone comes in um, and how much work they can get Ronnie Walker. Uh, I would imagine they're also going to get some of those backup offensive linemen, some burn, um, I would love to see some of the younger DBs, especially a cornerback. I would love to see Elijah Gaines. Um, but I feel like the last time we had a podcast where we started talking about, you know, who's going to get in the game and such, uh, the game ended up being a game. And if this thing ends up being a game, I, I might actually take the site down. I don't know how to do that. I'll, hack, I'll have to hack the mainframe or something, but I'm, I'm going to do it. 
Okay, let's get to the. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know that we've ever played a team that. I don't want to say they're terrible because it is a close game, but I can't think of the last time Virginia's played a team where they should be that as is as bad as Abilene Christian. Is. They'll just get to it. VMI. Um, I don't know, man. No, nah, man. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe VMI. Yeah, maybe a couple of VMI. VMI has no athletes whatsoever, and I don't. When's the last time they had somebody drafted? And they're yeah. like a terrible D, uh, FCS team. All right. Well, yeah, that's true. I, yeah. I think Abilene probably has better team, like better talent. Um, than VMI does, but and even the last even game. that when was that? That was like eight years ago. So. Well, Ferber yeah. makes an interesting point that they are they are pretty bad though. Um, speaking of bad, man, I'm gonna tell you what. Of all the the text messages and and things that I was expecting to receive yesterday, man, Jawan Briggs transferring from UVA was not on the list, um, and. I think I have some like weird PTSD with the with the rivals um, transfer portal Twitter account um, because that thing it never <laughs> it's never good like my afternoon is never going to be good once once I get tagged in one of those um, so I think at this point maybe for the, for anybody who doesn't know or isn't aware I guess we should sort of encapsulate you know I'll be the chief summarizer in chief um, listen dude just wasn't happy. Um, he was obviously getting lots of playing time, um, fit pretty well in the scheme, was playing pretty well. Um, as far as I'm aware, no, you know, incidents or anything like that. This is literally just dude just decided that he was done. And that's, I think in college sports, the toughest transfer decision for fans to understand, Right. Here's a guy who was starting, who was playing well, who had a very bright future ahead of him at UVA. Um, I think the fact that he's a, you know, a well-rounded kid who has lots of interest beyond just football was perfect, you know, for UVA fans. I remember, you know, going to the basketball games and he, you know, him singing part of, the, you know, being a part of the group singing the national anthem, and how excited people were just to have, you know, that kind of kid on their team. The fact that he was also, you know, a former you know, four-star Rivals 100 kid was almost like secondary to sort of everything else. And he just seemed unhappy. Um, that's the, you know, from everybody I talked to, that's the consistent piece, which is like, just was unhappy. Just didn't like it, was ready to move on to something else. And I don't know if anybody listened to Bronco on the coaches show or not, but I thought his, I thought he was, I, mean, I thought he was really um, compelling to hear him kind of talk about just, you know, the surprise of it all, the, you know, the difficulty within, you know, like, what are we, you know, how did we miss this? You know, how do we not see it? And certainly, you know, with a kid like this, who seems to fit the profile pretty perfectly, Nick Howell today on the uh, coordinator call was similar, like, you know, was a big surprise and certainly hurt, but you know, they got to move forward. They don't have a whole lot of time and they don't have a lot of options. So certainly we'll talk about that. I just want to get, uh, I'll start with Dave. Cause I feel like of the three of us, Dave took this <laughs> the hardest, um, how, uh, I guess, how would you phrase your reaction and have you come up at all since being so low when you heard the news? If you're a Virginia fan and can't get over bad news, <laughs> I mean, good Lord, God bless you. Yeah, I'm better now. Thanks. Uh, I've dealt with worse. Look, I mean, I think from you, you kind of hit it. Like, if you look at what Virginia wants to do defensively, Briggs is ideal. You know, he, he is a, you know, borderline dominant nose tackle. Um, you know, when Virginia's run the three-four historically with with Grow here, that was one position he even struggled to fill, despite having some NFL players come at the end. You know, at uh, defensive end, he always struggled to fill that nose tackle spot because it's kind of not a very glorious position in the three-four. For the most part, you're a you're a blocker. You know, you're you're just eating up blocks. Um, you know, gap assignments and eating up blocks. It's not not a sexy position. Um, you know, there's going to be some plays where where you can go get the quarterback, but for the most part, your your job is to take up linemen. Um, and, and Briggs seemed to be, you know, obviously was very good. Came in as a true freshman, strong as an ox, and and played right away and did very well. Um, and if you look in the game at the opponents Virginia beat last year, which they have struggled against historically in Pittsburgh and Virginia Tech, it was line the lines being more physical on both sides of the ball and Briggs was a big part of that on the defensive side 
Um, you couple that with kind of what he was off the field. He, he seemed to be like the picture perfect, what you'd want if, you know, what Bronco described, like Briggs seemed to be it. Like, why can't you have everything, right? Um, but so losing him, it's definitely a blow. And then you, you get couple that with the fact that the defensive line as a whole is already really thin this year with Bernie now out, um, you know, um, Aaron not being here this year, Ben Smiley being hurt. I assume Reed's hurt because we don't hear his name much. Um, so it, it definitely gets the team in a in a tight situation. Um, and, you know, it's what the second four-star four that Bronco had, that Bronco signed that's already left the program. Um, now, since, you know, since we got the news, we, we've kind of heard, you know, some, like he wasn't happy, like you were alluding to and, and if you go back and look what even Mike Farrell said what, last year, I think it was um, about some concerns about whether he was really into football. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it hurts. It sucks. It's a good thing. I'm sure you guys will talk about it too, but it's a really good thing that Carter is, you know, <laughs> a very good player. I don't know if he's on the level of Briggs yet, but it's it's not, it's a good thing he's good because he's going to get more more action right away. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess it's just a sign. We don't know all, you know, we don't know what's going on in a 19, 20 year old kid's head. And especially if you, the way I kind of came to peace with it is we know how, how he was with the stuff off, off the field with the extracurriculars at UVA. I mean, we saw him, you know, all the singing he was doing, all that stuff. Obviously that doesn't exist this year. So if you're someone who needs that to fuel your tank and you don't have it and you're away from home and, um, the football season, football is not as fun for you or this team or whatever it is. Like if you don't have that fuel coming, it's not a shock. I think it's just surprising because this year is weird. Like typically we'd be ending the season right now and we still have multiple games left. Yeah. I think for me, um, listen, having, I remember the first, like when I talked to Juwan in person for the first time was at the challenge and walked up to him and, um, you, you could almost it was almost like immediate how different like this he, he was unlike any kid I had interviewed um in this I don't mean this I'm just gonna be honest about this right so like I have talked to a lot of basketball players who were highly rated guys who who had a sense of like who you could get a sense of to of them like that this sport is is important to them but there's a lot of stuff around that right most of the time the kids I talk to on the football side like football is like their life right. And it, it's just, a, I don't know how to describe it. It's just a different thing. Now, every once in a while, you'll, you'll find a kid who, who has those interests, who, you know, talks to you about med school or talk, you know what I'm saying? Like who talks to you about these other things. And I remember Juwan talking to me about some, he had built some, some motherboard or so there was some, there was some like, you know, soldering involved. And it was just a different kind of experience than I've ever had at that t- sort of event for on the football side. Um, and the fact that, you know, he had all these other interests, you know, you mentioned the feral art of which I linked on the board, like football people have always been skeptical of dudes like that. Right. They've all they're always skeptical, like if there is any sort of um, other reason, other thing that could could grab your attention. Right. The, the you know, the Myron roles of the world. Right. It's tough because on the one hand, there is, you know, a fit that looked from the outside looking in like it was perfect. Right. And then on the other side that you got like, you know, Bernie out family, you know, opting out smiley hurt, like they're down to four dudes and the kid is playing really well. And so as I said on a radio show this afternoon, like there is a human component to this whole thing. And ultimately if you're a coach and there's a kid who's unhappy and he wants to leave and you're, there's nothing you can say to sort of like talk him through it, right? You don't, you're not necessarily trying to change a kid's mind as much as you're trying to like maybe help them through whatever might be, um, they might be dealing with. But ultimately, like you don't need, you can't have guys who, who don't want to be there who are just like there. Um, and that's hard for a lot of people because, you know, um, it means that their team's going to get worse. And I think that's the struggle that a lot of Virginia fans have had for the last 28 hours or whatever it's been, right? Their team is going to be worse because of this kid feeling like he's, you know, this isn't where he wants to be. Now, on, on this show, the three of us, we have always been pretty adamant about, you know, supporting, you know, player rights and, 
you know, whether it's name, image, likeness, or, you know, transferring and that kind of thing. I think I, I'm pretty sure that all three of us feel like, you know, if, if a kid doesn't want to be there, you know, you should hate on him for wanting to leave. Just like if a kid wants to switch up his commitment and go somewhere else, you don't want that. You, that's not a kid you want. You want the kid to want your school the way you do, right? Because it's going to, you know, it requires a lot of work. And today's point about this is a, in the middle of a pandemic, man, what these dudes are being asked to do um, is very different than any college experience. So I can understand guys who say, you know what, that's not, that's not what I signed up for. What do you think, Ferber? As as this you know last day is is uh, played out, what are your what are your thoughts on this whole situation? I, I think you make a pretty good point about um, you know if you're not all in, you probably don't need to be playing football because, um, or if you're not all in on the place that you're playing football, you, you don't need to be playing football there um, because it's not worth the risk for injury. It's it's a hard sport to play. Practice sucks. Um, it's not fun. Like it's never going to be fun. Um, and you know, it's just not worth it to, to put your body in harm's way. If you really don't want to do it, does it leave UVA in a great position? No. I mean, they don't have a lot of depth on the defensive line and, and I'm not blaming Juwan for, for that. Um, that's just the way it worked out. And at the end of the day, it's, it's a football season and UVA has got to do what they can with what they have. Um, I'm interested to see what's next for him because he seems like a very talented guy. Um, I think one of the things that's been my takeaway over the last 48 hours or so is I see a lot of people on message boards, Twitter, whatever, trying to make this into a macro problem. And I'm not saying that it isn't. Um, I'm just saying that when looking at these situations, every individual kid or player, man, that wants to transfer, um, they're individual people. Like not, it, It's not always indicative of a larger story, right? Um know that UVA fans had a lot of fun like laughing at Tech over the last few years for all their transfers. I think the number of transfers that they had and then obviously all the stuff that was written about it afterwards kind of indicates that there was something larger at play there. I don't know if that's the case here or not. If it is, we'll probably find out soon. But um, I, I just see a lot of people that are like trying to find somebody to blame for this, and I don't really think it works like that. I mean – if we if if Juwan comes out in a week and says like yeah like so and so ruined my experience or I hated it you know this person or like I really you know this is why I'm leaving I didn't like the way that this happened then that's one thing but for me I think it's just as likely or more so that he just didn't want to be there and and you know like he made his own individual choice um, for every for every Juwan Briggs coming in there's a bunch of other are leaving there's a bunch of other guys that are coming in and want to be there so. Um, I just say wait and see on the we need to blow everything up. Something's horribly wrong takes. Um, does it mean that everything's great? No. But, I mean, we'll see what happens. And, and um, if, if there's a larger issue, then we'll, we'll know because more people will leave. But if not, then I think that it, it could just be an individual's choice to, to move on and do something else. People who have who've listened to this podcast for a while know that I am – I like to – I've said this before that two things can be true at once. I understand that there are um, there are those who are concerned about the transfer because, as Ferber points out, like you know, that there's some you know this is a systemic thing that there might be issues. That's always a concern with any transfer, right? Is well, what others will there be? And I want to make a point here that even if you see a number of guys transfer at the end of this season, because of the volatility of this season, because of the fact that there's a, a free year, right? Um, I don't think you can necessarily, you know, um, uh, what's that Latin phrase? Post hoc ergo propter hoc, right? This, the thing that came second happened because of the first, right? That doesn't mean they're related, but I understand that there are folks who are concerned. At the same time I, that I can understand why folks might be concerned, I think Ferber's point here is, is accurate. Like, this is an individual decision for every player, right? Regardless of what goes into that decision, Right, it could be playing time, it could be fit, it could be distance, it could be, um, you know, just don't get along with you know this coach or that. Like whatever your reasoning is, it's a, I think it's a it's a tough decision for pretty much, I would say at least most kids, right? And then going forward, you're probably going to see so many more transfers because as we've seen today, like the dead period, you know, extended through April, kids are are choosing schools now without as much. Um, 
you know, without as much information. Jawan, he obviously visited, but he, you know, his position coach has changed. Um, you know, Cincinnati not exactly down the road from from Charlottesville. There's a lot of reasons that we can all think of, but ultimately he made the decision for himself, and and you know, he's already off the roster. Like this is not one of those that seems like it's going to like come back, right? This is not a Nathaniel Beal situation where, you know, maybe the coaches have some conversations with him and they talk through some things and maybe he can sort of figure it out. Um, this is he just wasn't happy. And that's like I said before, that's the hardest one to, to, to fathom because the kid on the field was was excelling. And typically when someone is upset, when someone's not happy, they don't do they don't do well on the field. Right. They don't like perform to that level. Right there. There. The fact that there was no, you know, um um disconnect right on the field implies that there was no disconnect anywhere else and so therefore it just feels like that like bronco talked about being you know surprised like how said it just you know took us off guard um i think that the the knee-jerk reaction for fans in these situations when it doesn't make sense is to is to try to find you know something to fill in that hole and as i said before ultimately like these are human beings like they have they're you know humans are complicated all of these decisions are a little bit different, um, just like recruiting is different. And, you know, there is no cookie cutter that applies to everything. Um, on the field, we can, you know, we can talk ourselves into the blue in the face, but for some folks, like, the fact that he left is, is going to be the end-all, be-all. Um, on the field, um, somebody asked Nick Howe about running two-man fronts, and he essentially said, listen, we're going to run our scheme. Luckily, Virginia does have some experience with <laughs> – having depleted numbers in the defensive front, which is really crazy because at the beginning of the season, you know, going into it before guys reported, that was a, that was a source of strength, right? You looked at that roster and you thought, man, they're going to be in a really good spot on the defensive line. And that just, you know, did not come to pass once Falmui had opted out and everything. Um, what, what do we think Virginia should do here? now with Briggs gone. I mean, obviously Carter's going to get a lot of time. Obviously they're going to lean even harder on their younger guys. Um, would you, you put in Sue, um, you know, um, what, like what, Dave, what would, what would your answer be as to how Virginia can sort of solve the, um, the Jawan Briggs sized problem that it now has in front of itself? Well, they have Yavinsky on the team, so figure problem solved, right? Long um, live Yavinsky. Have we ever talked on the pod about like the Yavinsky thing? I don't know. It may have, it may have sneaked out tonight, right now. I think, um, was that the first time? Number forty-six. Uh, one in your heart. Number forty-six in your program. one in our hearts. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no. I mean, obviously, you know, in your base package, Carter's gonna gonna be your nose there. Um, the problem comes like in games where where you're on the field a lot. My guess is that you know, obvious first down and obvious running downs, you're going to run your three man front with Carter. Carter at nose, um, obviously, got to keep him healthy and keep him rotated enough to stay fresh. But if it's passing, I, I think you almost the two man line becomes your, you know, it, it basically for the most part it is kind of their standard sub package, you know, for you know when they want to bring in an extra DB, but. Um, I think now, like, it's got to be, you know, unless it's, like, third and one and you're worried or something. But, um, I mean, Alonzo can play a little bit of nose, more in passing situations and obvious running downs. But, um, yeah, it's going to be Carter. And, I mean, the big thing now is just going to be able to figure out how to rotate the guys enough to have them fresh at the end of the game. Um, Because, obviously, this weekend you're not going to get tested from that perspective. Um, But, you know, you've got – and I know Florida State's down this year, but they still have athletes. And Boston College is a pretty good team, and obviously you've got the Virginia Tech game. So you're going to need your front ready to roll in those three. Um, I don't know if there is an easy answer. Um, my, my hunch is you'll you'll see a bunch of the two-man line, despite what Nick said today. What about you, Ferber? What are your what do you, how do you how do you feel like UVA solves this issue? Yeah, I mean. And they only have a few options to, to go to, right? I mean, it's not like they have a ton of different avenues to go down. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Dave hit on a lot of it. Uh, I think Carter's just going to have to be, I mean, obviously we can't expect him to be better than, you know, he's a freshman. He's going to, he's been playing well. I mean, I, I don't expect him to be perfect, but he's going to have to play a lot more. And 
anyone else that's capable of playing is going to have to play too. Um, I think that you're going to get some young guys some exposure, and, and this year is kind of a weird year anyway, so why not just throw them in there and see what they can do? Um, I think Dave's right about the two-man line. They'll have to use it much this week. I think going forward, they might have to get a little experimental with how they do things. Um, you know, it, it, it's a shame because the run defense was playing so well, and you hope that this doesn't disrupt that too much. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're going to see what some of these younger guys can do uh, at the end of the season and, and go from there. But um, the coaches don't have a lot of cards to play at this point, so I think they'll just have to try to try out three or four different things that, that are available to them and, and see what happens. But, you know, it's going to come down to how, how far – along these younger players really are and and you know whether they can show some things before hopefully next year if family comes back you know and they have another year in the system the defensive line can kind of get right back to where they are now or where they were before this news i keep thinking about um something hal said today he he, he basically you know he was asked a question about younger guys like sue or uh, maybe even like moving somebody you know position wise right like an outside linebacker to defensive end and whatever and um, and he said, listen, the young guys, they're not they're not, you know, blind. Right. They understand when they get to practice and all of a sudden they're getting reps that there's a chance that they can go into the game and they're excited. And the fact the way he said that, you know, they're excited made me think about just, you know, this is a guy who, you know, in Briggs who played a lot and, um, you know, a lot was expected of him. And, and certainly, you know, I was definitely among people who expected he was going to have a great career at UVA. And he was certainly well on the way to that. And so the fact that that's not going to happen is tough. But at the same token, there is an opportunity, right? Um, it's like Bronco said, you know, with Louisville last week, right? When, when Tutu Atwell and um, Javion Hawkins aren't there, somebody has to touch the ball, right? And ultimately, Cunningham made a lot of those touches. Somebody's going to get these reps. And so the question is, you know, what are they going to do with them? Are they going to play to the level of, um, you know, Briggs? I, I haven't watched, you know, as much of Virginia this year as I have, I do get the sense that Briggs, if nothing else, if he wasn't making plays, I think that their ability to, to hold things down the middle certainly plays a big part in the run defense, which obviously got a little bit exposed last week, but also too has kept the linebackers clear, you know, free a little bit. Um, I think they've done a nice job Briggs and Carter, both of doing their jobs. So now you, you're going to have to have somebody kind of come in there and carry some of the load. Um, I think Milani is probably going to get a lot more burn because of this. That's 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 the one that makes the most sense to me because he has been playing some. Obviously, Carter will 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 get a lot of uh, run as well. But I mean, four healthy defensive linemen who have been in games, um, you know, that's you know, and I, I don't know if you can bring a Gunlier off the bench, you know, without any sort of um, you know time this season, expect him to really contribute. But that being said, hey, see if you can get him ready for Saturday and put him out there and see what happens. Now, he, the, the other rub about this is is that, like, Virginia was kind of in a place where the DBs weren't exactly a, a strong suit, and part of the reason you were able to pick up some of that slack is because your front seven was pretty solid, and now you've blown a major hole in your front seven, um, and it's right in the middle. So I think Carter Carter's ability to, to step in and really be consistent at this point, like, that's obviously a big challenge for dudes who come in on the defensive front you know, size and stuff is one thing. Consistency when, in playing the game is another. Um, how consistent he is might dictate how good the defense can be. And that sounds really kind of warped, but, you know, that just might be the way it crumbles. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, this staff's got a little bit of experience with this, right? I mean, what, two yeah, years ago? It's happened three twice years already. Ago, <laughs> yeah. Was it Dylan Thompson? And uh, God, we had like two 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 dudes healthy yeah. against a couple teams. Well, one of them um, was the military. Maybe, still they had a tight end game. playing. Yeah, yeah, against the Navy, Bernie. they had a tight end playing and Bernie. And then the next year in the bowl game, they had two guys or whatever. Or I think it was <laughs> four healthy guys. Yeah. yeah. So it can be done. They, they've got, you know, they've done it before. I, I don't look, obviously, it's a big step up, step back not to have Briggs just because you had Briggs and Carter. And that was a formidable duo in those. Um, gave you a chance to keep them both fresh and, and be aggressive and be very multiple in your schemes. You're, you're not going to be able to be as multiple now. And you're, you're going to have to, you know, pick and choose when, when to run three men, because really Carter is the only guy set to play nose. Um, I mean, I don't know what they do. Maybe Tommy Chris moves back over. I haven't heard anything about his health, but um, you know, there are some other options out there, but the key is going to be health. And that, that's what it boils down to. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, Chris was was definitely warming up, you know, last weekend. So I mean, he seems healthy. Um, what a gosh! They asked that dude to move back to defense, which I'm, you know, I think it, that's probably going to happen. Um, that's man, that's tough. But at the same token, like you know, maybe his experience there helps. I don't know. I I just think that ultimately the coaches can help themselves here with scheme, right? Um, you know, I know that there are lots of situations with two down linemen. I would hate to see Virginia have to play Carolina again in that rushing running game, but Boston college's offensive line is, and tech's offensive line are, you know, two of the best in the league. Right. Um, so I, I don't know, man, it's, it's just going to be a challenge. Um, I think we've, we've sufficiently um, covered that one other than to say, if you are a Virginia fan, you listen to this and you're frustrated, I get it. Um, it's It sucks. And, um, you know, I think Virginia coaches have to do some, you know, some soul searching here. Not because they did anything yeah. wrong, but also, too, like you can't have a guy who is this good of a fit. You can't, you just can't have this kind of thing happen. And I understand, you know, and I realize I just, you know, went on this whole long thing about, you know, human beings and, you know, personal preferences and stuff, but like, you got to know, you, you know, you got to know your people and you got to be, you know, it, it does feel like there was a part of this that was a little bit, um, talk about disconnect. Like there was a little bit of a disconnect between coaches and player because the coaches were so off caught off guard. If a guy is close enough where he's ready to leave in the middle of the season and you don't have any idea that that's coming, that, that to me, that if you, if you want to point some fingers or, or you want to like get a little worried about something, that to me is, is somewhat problematic. Now, maybe Bronco and, and Nick, like they're, they're, they're saying publicly they, they were caught off guard. And maybe what they mean is that they were caught off guard by the decision, but they maybe knew he wasn't, you know, that he didn't think UVA was the right fit or whatever. That to me is, a, is something they do have to figure out because you don't, you can't have this be a thing. Um, and sometimes these things tend to, you know, it's like cautions in NASCAR, like cautions beget cautions. Like sometimes transfers beget tra- transfers. So if you want to keep that from going down, you, you, I think there's got to be more communication. And certainly, um, you know, that's a concern. Yeah. I mean, I do think like if this is a thing we see more of, I don't think it's some necessarily a, a warning sign of something going on internally in the program. Um, I think it gets back to where are you recruiting from? Um, you know, if you're recruiting a guy from a school in Richmond, you're going to know about him as a freshman. You're going to be in his school all the time. You're going to find out a bunch about him. Briggs, I think he visited UVA once, maybe twice. Virginia hasn't really recruited anyone from his school before. Um, so I think when if you see like not understanding a guy's personality, I'm not saying that's all this was, but there seems to be a little bit of that in this. If you're not going in a school that you're in often, that coach is maybe a little less likely to fill you in with the stuff a guy you see every every year on the rotation will fill you in on. Um, you know, because there was some discussion about that with Briggs and why some other schools weren't yeah. heavy on him. So, I mean, I think that's something you've got to look at. So when Virginia's recruiting for guys outside of their geographical base, like how many times can you actually see that kid? What kind of intel are you going to get? And if you look in the state of Virginia now, um, I know people complain about Virginia and Virginia Tech both not recruiting well inside the state. But we've also talked about this. A lot of the guys who are leaving the state aren't doing much. And I think it's because you see a, you know, you see a program like Notre Dame, Pitt, Penn State come in and offer a guy that Virginia and Virginia Tech haven't offered. It can be a little bit of that, you know, um, not having not having the intel because you're not in that school as often. Yeah, I think that's yeah, true. and I mean, like, I I don't know if I don't know if you guys mentioned it or not, but like this, I mean, this was something that was discussed when Briggs signed with UVA, was it not? I mean, not that we predicted it to happen, but some did, <laughs> like. You know, there was just always a risk that like other things would draw him away from football, and I don't know if that's necessarily what's happening here, but this is the run, the risk you run with any player. You know, it, it doesn't. There's no one size fits all. Like UVA's had other guys that have left that have been pretty surprising, and I'm sure other schools, people that have come to UVA, they were surprised that those guys left and came here. So, um, yeah, I mean, like you think about Sam Hauser, right? Like he's he left Marquette where he was a star player and chose to sit a year to play one, right? Like they were probably pretty surprised when that happened. I remember it was like a pretty shocking thing. Like it happened. So onward and upward, I guess. Hopefully he lands in a good spot. One, one extra thing on that I just thought of. So the, your, Dave's point about 
familiarity is is good. As I recall, right, that there was that one trip where he and the one where he essentially committed, right. Um, it wasn't like that was his first exposure to UVA ever, right? But it was, I think, the the seminal moment. And as I recall, I don't think he came back before he enrolled, right? I think that, like, you know, I, if I'm if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, um, the problem, and and this goes to you know the whole in-state recruiting piece, right? The idea that like, and 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 I think it's just commonsensical that guys who are closer to you have a more vested interest in, um, in going to in you know going to your school and making it work or going to your school and making the most of it or whatever. Um, I, I wonder if this is another situation where two things can be true. Like there's definitely this like idea right now that kids can go anywhere to college, right? We've never been connected as, as connect, you know, pandemic aside, we've never been as connected as we are now. Right. So um, used to be, if you were going to go, you were going to go to school a whole bunch of hours away, you know, maybe you were hopping a flight to get home, but realistically like your only connection with them would be a family came to see you or if you talked to them on the phone. Well, now, I mean, you can be in constant contact with them in a variety of different ways and a variety of different platforms and a variety of different um, mediums, right? Um, it's, it's just different, right? And there's also just this kind of, you know, I don't know if it's because of just communication in general, but, like, guys go away to school now. It's really, like, if you think about, like, I bet you if you went right now and you went to most of the, the different schools in the ACC and you looked at their recruiting classes, yes, yeah, some of them are, are recruiting their, their states, but realistically like you're looking for programs high school programs that seem to fit a profile um and kids who fit you and your needs more than you're looking at like geographical location um it's gotten to the point with recruits like when i talk to them for interviews and stuff i very rarely ever talk about location right the kids who you know i mean i can promise you like nowadays it is not it is not normal for me to talk to a kid and he's like, yeah, I don't want to go too far from home. Like their folks don't care about driving. Folks don't care about planes. You know, they can find deals, you know, like they, it's just a, that's just a fact of the, of the situation. So while that, but while that is a thing, I do think there's some, it's commonsensical, right? That if you are right down the road and you can, you know, your family can be around and stuff um, a little bit more and you, and you know, I think the other thing is like the, you know, people who are at the school, Right. Who, you know, you know, maybe maybe your best friends aren't there, but you you know what I'm saying? Like that, that, got, that folks who went to your school or folks who lived in your area are at your at the school you're at. Um, I, I don't think it's a it's a surprise when guys who are a ways away from home end up not necessarily just feeling homesick, but just feeling alone. And, you know, I can't say for sure that that was definitely a part of this, but I, I can't it make it would make a lot of sense if it was, especially now when, you know, he can't do a lot of the different things he was able to do so <sighs> all right let's let's uh before we get to basketball real quick Ferber, let's do a little update on the prop bets um give us a give us a summation of where we are let's change the let's change the energy in the room um and uh and talk to me a little bit about one where the prop bets currently stand uh two how far in the lead you are uh, and three, how many dudes I still need to score touchdowns before I embarrass myself <laughs> on my stupid list of dudes who have to score okay. touchdowns. All right. So I'll start with the prop bets that we did that are completed. Um, all right. I have the sheet. And first touchdown of the season, it was an Armstrong four-yard run. Um, I got that one correct because I had Armstrong run. Um, you guys, if you want want to know what you guessed you get brad guessed pole john seven yard catch dave guessed eight yard talapapa run um longest touchdown or, or is the the over under for longest touchdown of the season was 72 and a half yards and the over hit on saturday with noah taylor's 86 yard touchdown um it was kind of funny for a while there because shane simpson's play against unc was 71 yards so it was like just under um Program newcomers to start versus Duke was under two and a half. It was two players, Henry and Poljan. Um, quarterbacks to throw a pass hit over hard uh, like early. It's already at four, and the over-under was two and a half. We all had that. Um, <laughs> this one's kind of sting a little bit. Juwan Briggs tackle for loss over-under six and a half. The under is pretty safe bet at four. Um, so that one's done. Me and Brad had that. So right now I believe I have one, two, three, four, five correct Dave has two and Brad has two. So there's where we are. Um, some other interesting ones, just looking around. Um, 
Uh, Terrell Jan is going to be well under his over-under of 74 and a half catches. He has 31. Hey, man, you don't know. He um, could have 40 catches in a game. You don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's possible, I guess. Um, to have 40 catches in a game? Really no, it's joke. not. Yeah. Possible this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, uh, let's see, team turnover margin, we all had them plus something, and it's currently minus three. Um, the team's leader in snaps is Chris Glazer. None of us had him, but, but it's a long, long way to go in that category. Who, who did I have? Um, uh, uh, you had Zane Zandier, mm. who is the team leader in snaps on defense. Wow, um, okay. Dave and I had Alua team, and he's like third, um, but they're all pretty close. Uh, let's see. Team points per game, 30 and a half. Uh, it's currently 27.2. So this week will be huge as to, you know, if they're able to kind of go back over that number or not. Uh, let's see. Tony Poljan's going to cruise by his over under 28 and a half catches. He's at 25. Um, unless he has a lingering injury, unfortunately. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, Wins over ranked opponents, that seems like a solid under at this point because Virginia Tech has, like, no path to being ranked. And neither – well, maybe Boston College, but I don't think they're going to be ranked. Um, we had The over-under was one and a half, and we all had the under, and it's one. So that one seems safe. Zane Zandier is probably going to go over 84 and a half tackles. Uh, Nash Griffin is right at the over-under for his average yards per punt. He's, like, one yard over. Um Brendan Armstrong's passing numbers are going to be way less than what I predicted um, because in part because he got hurt, but also because his pace has dropped off considerably um, since the first couple games of the year. His rushing numbers right now, he's on pace for 599 rushing yards, which is nice. Um, and let's see, what else do we have? Noah Taylor sacks. That has not been a very high number. It's a two and a half right now. Um, I guess seven, which was the lowest guess. Um Yes, getting all the right now, Talip- yeah, Talapapa and uh, Armstrong are pretty close in rushing yards. I think they're like 14 yards apart now, um, which is kind of crazy. 15. Yeah, so he's catching up. Um, had one that was higher number, Armstrong touchdowns total or Kemp receptions. <laughs> Billy Kemp has 48 catches, and Armstrong has 15 touchdowns. So that one wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> okay, but you got to give the people Armstrong- – Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say you got to give the people what they want because what they want to know is how many more people have to score touchdowns for me. That's yeah, really we're cool. almost there. Okay. Um, the the last interesting one that I had was um, higher number Brendan Armstrong interceptions or Taylor uh, or Charles Snowden TFLs, and that's been a battle. Um, currently, Armstrong has eight picks and Snowden has ten tackles for loss, so that one's going to come down to the wire. Hopefully, hopefully Snowden pulls away. Um, and then the last couple. Uh, I skipped over a bunch, but player uh, name everybody to break the rock so far. Kelly Pugh, Brennan Armstrong, and Noah Taylor. And our, I think we all had Armstrong and Taylor, and none of us had Kelly Pugh. Um, it's funny looking at the list, and some of us, we, we had like so many names left to go, and it's like there's not that many games. Um, all right, every player to score a touchdown. So uh, do you guys think you could actually get every player that scored a touchdown? Uh, like if you, if you had to... Let's see. I'll tell you how many there are. Yeah. There are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. All right. Armstrong, obviously. Yes. Uh, Pole Jan. Jana. Yes. Yes. Kemp. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lavelle Davis. Yeah, MF and Davis. <laughs> Tyler Papa, Simpson. Um, are you counting defensive players or is this just offense? Everybody that scored. Okay, Taylor. Uh, yep. I mean, is that six so far? Seven? By my count, I think you're missing three. All right. Um, Henry. Yes. Um, <laughs> he only scores touchdowns. <laughs> two catches, two touchdowns. Um, scored a touchdown. Dave, you're do you, you know who the others oh, are? Oh, wait. He's it's got to be Thompson one, and an Armstead. Yeah. There's two more. Yeah. And, and that's, that's it, it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Look at that. Oh. In, in order, in order of when they were scored: Brendan Armstrong, Wayne Talapapa, Lavelle Davis, Terrell Jana, Keaton Thompson, Tony Poljohn, uh, Billy Kemp, Ira Armstead, Rashawn Henry, Shane Simpson, Noah Taylor. 
and hopefully I didn't miss anyone. Right. And the, so here are the players. Here, <laughs> here, here are the players. For, here are the players that each of us need to score a touchdown to hit the prop bet for the Price is Right rule for touchdown scores. Uh, for Dave Grant Mish, that's it. For me, Tavares Kelly, that's it. Wow. I don't know if either of us are going to get it. I like my chances um, better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you got to go for a touchdown. You can't score a touchdown going backwards. Um, and then Dave or uh, Brad needs Darius Bratton, uh, Demeek Starling, Nick Grant, and Josh Rawlings. So you better. Oh, it's hope not that bad. Games. No, I thought it was gonna be like seven dudes. It's only four of them. Okay, I mean, granted, it's ridiculous like and not gonna minutes. happen. Yeah, two are corners. <laughs> listen, One doesn't play. Listen, listen. In my defense, uh, I, uh, I really. Yeah, I mean, you you took. You had some more guys than we did. I just I love whenever anybody scores that you didn't have. Yeah, and then I'm just fun. like, yeah, that, that person is not on your. Like, <laughs> you didn't have Ira Armstead. You didn't have yeah. um, Noah Taylor, obviously. So yeah, I love that I had Bratton and Grant. Man, I was on one that night. I was on one that night. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk. Uh, it's gonna be amazing when Darius Bratton has like a pick six against Tech, and you just need like Josh Rawlings to score or something, and that's all you need. <laughs> Actually, Josh Rawlings scoring th- this weekend might be the weekend because I mean I could totally see them holding Paul Jane out, you know, after the you know yeah. the concussion last and week. He played. Yeah, he did. He did get on the field unless they put somebody else in his uniform. So. Yeah, well, they did that with yeah. uh, So Sean that's Smith where we are. There. It's still anybody's game for the prop bets. Are there any that you wanted to know about? That I- no, you did a good job of, of summarizing everything, so I appreciate that. That was uh, that was fun. Um, hopefully, hopefully, by the time we get to the end of the season, we'll all feel like happy enough to talk about this again. Um, but, well, I guess we'll wait and see. Um, speaking of seasons, so Virginia basketball is going to tip off next Wednesday afternoon, 2 o'clock, if I remember correctly against Maine on something called flowsports.com. Um, I made a, I made a joke about this on the radio here in Richmond and Bob Black, who is the voice of the spiders, you know, laughed when I made a joke about flow sports. Like, Oh no. Like I'm very, I'm very well aware. Um, so this Virginia team, we talked about this to some extent, but I'm just, I I just want to focus on next week. Um, and kind of like what our thoughts are. I mean, I haven't, you know, I'm not out there scouting Maine. Um, you know, in, in super in depth or anything. Um, I, I feel like the Florida game sounds bigger than it's going to be. If that makes any sense. Um, I also would love to know when the last time the revenue sports played Florida, Florida state in back-to-back days, but now I digress. Dave, let's start with you, dude. What's, um, what do you think of bubbleville? Well, I guess we should start one. I don't want to create prop bets here, but one, do you think that both games get played? Uh, two, how do you feel about Bubbleville? And three, what do you feel like you're expecting to see from Virginia next week? Um, I mean, I think both games get played. Um, do not say you expect Bubble- them to come out in a pack line defense. Don't, don't, don't <laughs> okay? just don't. No, no. I mean, as far as Bubbleville goes, I think it's an interesting experiment. Um, <laughs> you know, I think it, Maybe they'll learn something that'll help them at the end of the season if it's needed. Don't think we'll obviously we won't see much of it once the conference play gets going. Um, what was the other question? What am I expecting to see out of this yeah, team? Yeah, just just generally, um, like, you know. I'm expecting to see better offense than we saw, um, especially at the beginning of last year. Uh, even out of the gate, I expect the offense to be a little little smoother. Um, and defensively, I'm expecting to watch a work in progress. Um, so yeah, I mean. I'm excited to see him get back out there just because, you know, we never really got closure for last year. It just kind of ended. Um, I, I was, I think it was two or three days ago. I was just going through last year's schedule, just reminding myself and we all know it, but looking at how close every one of those games were down the stretch and they managed to win them all. Um, such a crazy season to have in like that. So hopefully none of hopefully not a single, you know, a two or three point win on Wednesday. Ferber, what about you? What are your, uh, do you think they play it, um, and uh, what are you expecting to see? Um, do they play Maine and Florida? Yeah, do they play um, both games? I'll say it's like better than 50%, just because nothing's happened yet, but and we're a week away, but I don't know, 60% chance, something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, who knows? Like Teams are shutting down 
all the time. So, I mean, all you need is one of those teams to not play or something. So, um, yeah, I mean, what I'm – I think Dave hit it. I think the big thing is what does the offense look like? I'm excited to see, you know, what the, how they use Sam Hauser, like what they're going to do with him, how, like what his role is in this offense. Um, we have a pretty good idea of what it's going to be, but, um, you know, how much do they use him near the basket? How much is he used, you know, out on the perimeter? Um, what does the perimeter shooting look like for other guys that, you know – had up and down seasons last year. Like has Kihei Clark make, made a step in that, in that regard, even though he already has made a few, you know, steps forward as a shooter. Uh, Casey Morcell obviously is the big one. Like he really needs to shoot the ball better than he did last year from the outside. Um, Wolda Tensai, you know, he had a few moments where he went really hot and then other times where he wasn't so good um, from deep. So, you know, what does that look like? And then what does the inside game look like? I mean, we, we kind of know what Jay Huff is. I don't think, I think he's probably the guy that we can kind of, at least in the front court, expect to, you know, he's going to be sort of a mainstay. And then the other guys around him, what does that rotation look like? Um, which freshman play? Like, all that stuff. You know, that's the sort of things, like, against Maine, I think you'll probably see everybody play some because I think they should win that game comfortably. But against Florida, right out of the gate, I mean, you're going to get a test to see what does Tony think of his rotation? You know, what does he think um, of his crunch time lineup? Like, what, you know... How does he like matchups with with a talented team? So I think that's going to be a good test right out of the gate and one where if you win it, great. If you don't, you know it's not the end of the world. And you know it'll it'll put the players in a situation where the, it'll be an ACC like game um, or an NCAA tournament like game right out of the gate. So I think that's a great thing. I'm excited to see how it goes. I think for me, you mentioned the freshmen. Um, the fun thing about season openers on the basketball side is because there are so many games. You're not really nec- – unless it's like a big-time game like, you know, when they were at Syracuse last year, right? Um, realistically, though, most years you're just kind of excited to see what it looks like because you have so many different pieces and, and there's a lot more that goes into it. So I think that's my big thing for, for, the, for the opener. Um, the Florida game is interesting. Like, you know, Omar Payne, Noah Locke, Keontae Johnson, who I believe was the SEC uh, preseason player of the year. Like, Sky Lewis, that's a talented team. Yep. Um, but I'm not – I don't – it's funny. With, with Florida, you, you never really get a sense of who they are until well into the season. Um, or at least that's my, my general sense. Um, so I'm not really sure what to, you know, what to expect other than – I think your, your point about the, the rotation and sort of uh, it being considerably different in game two than it probably will be in game one. Um, I think the thing I might be most excited about is Reese Beekman and how much he plays. It's like I feel like I know – what Sam, Sam Hauser is going to give him. I feel like I know um, what even Jabri is probably going to give him. My question is, is Beekman, because as we saw in the, in the title season, right? Like when you can put um, multiple ball handlers on the floor, everything works better. And Beekman being able to, to play alongside Kihei, um, especially given how much talent they have and how much size they have and stuff. Um, I, I think Beekman is right up there with Caden Shedrick for me. Like those two guys are the are the two that I'm really the most excited about. And that's no shade. I mean, I don't mean that as like, oh, you shouldn't be excited about anybody else. I'm just saying for me, um, those are the two guys that I think because if if Beekman can play alongside Kihei, um, as well as you know play you know g- you know give him a blow here and there, like that is significant to me because I do think that that changes the calculus a little bit. But then also Shedrick, you know, if he's able to play considerable minutes and I mean we got to be mindful that like this was a kid with a lot of potential but he you know he he redshirted last year for a reason hasn't played uh college ball yet you know if he's able to get to a place where he can play consistent minutes um he he can probably bring them something a little bit different even than Huff um because of his ability to sort of um go to the basket rather than just you know kind of catch and shoot over guys um so I mean those are the kind of guys I'm um it's kind of things I'm looking forward to um in terms of the league, we talked a lot last week about, you know, predicted order of finish and stuff. So I don't want to go back through that. But just in terms of um, maybe a way to finish up the show, um, let's talk storylines coming out of this opening weekend of games. Um, we'll record a podcast next week at some point. So we'll have a little bit more time to talk about maybe the Florida matchup specifically. But what's our – Dave, let's go start with you. What's your general – Give me, give me a storyline coming out of the first weekend for UVA. I mean, the, we, we all know what the obvious one is going to be, you know, getting the games off. You know, if, if they happen and, you know, 
you know, the positives and negatives of that whole experience. Um, Cause that ultimately is going to decide a lot of this season, you know, and feel like a broken record. Like, you know, we've already talked about this with basketball once and here we are talking about it with basketball again. Um, but as far as like the actual gameplay goes, like, I think this Virginia team has a chance to be very, very good. Um, when we talked about it what, two last podcast, whenever it was like, I mean, I don't know if I expect a national championship, but if everyone is what they're capable of being, this team can win a national title. Um, so it, it's just, I think a lot of what you're going to see is, is them trying to figure it out. Um, if they can put it together and figure out that, you know, like I said, the, that one thing for me, the hold up for me for saying this team's going to be great, you know, sure bet is that defensive stopper spot. So um, we, I can guarantee you one thing coming out of the first two games. We'll, we'll know where the weaknesses are on defense, and we'll know what Tony's thinking about how to fix that. Because if a, if a weakness shows up for, what, two minutes in a game, Tony's making a change. So um, we'll just kind of see how the players fit together. Um, yeah, I mean, there'll be a lot of stories. Unfortunately, <laughs> short of something bad happening on the actual gameplay, like I think the story will be how they how they came out of it. Yeah, I mean, hopefully the storyline isn't about a bunch of games getting canceled or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I think that it kind of goes, for me, It's I don't know which way it's going to go coming out of the games because I think that if you blow out Maine like you should, nobody's going to really bat an eye at that one way or the other. The Florida game, I think, I, I hope that it's not a complete referendum on everything. You know, obviously it doesn't really matter at the end of the day what people think, but... Um, I can see a situation where UVA's offense isn't quite as, you know, it's not clicking on all cylinders the way that people think it will later in the season. Like me, like I think there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve there. Um, like you mentioned the defense, you know, figuring out the crunch time lineup, all that stuff. That stuff takes time. Um, I, I, if they lose that game or if it's really, really close and they don't look that great, I hope that people don't rush to judge and say like, oh, you know, like this team isn't as good as we thought. Or if they blow Florida out, like, you know, that'll certainly be a great sign. Um, but I don't know if that necessarily means like UVA is headed for the Final Four. Um, there's a lot more basketball that needs to be played out, and these are two games where you get a good sense. You know, it's kind of like a, a perfect non-conference showcase where you get a game you should win pretty easily, and you get a game that's going to test you in a every other day environment. That, how is that different than the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, right? I mean, um, all 16 seed jokes aside, but like I, I think that that's a good way to prep. But and I also think that. The Florida game will probably test UVA, and I think, you know, if I had to pick it, I'd say they'll probably win. But um, there's so many unknowns, you know, across college basketball with a lot of guys changing teams and things like that. So um, there's certainly a lot of, you know, intrigue around these openers. But again, they're just two games out of 27 or however many are on the schedule this year. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a long way to go from there for sure. We know as Virginia fans, like overreaction is something you definitely have to worry about, positive or negative. Um, and I'm not quite sure. Like, I mean, I haven't been around, I haven't gotten the inside information. I don't know what they're doing differently in practice, but I do know. Yeah, I mean, I there's know. been like no information this year just because of what's going on with COVID and everything. Like, we really, we haven't seen this team do anything, right? There hasn't been a scrimmage or anything. Yeah. And we know a lot of Virginia's success. You know, it, it, it's, the pack line it's the culture but a lot of the success too is is their conditioning and the work they do with mike curtis and so yeah and a lot of times you know they're ready out of the gate like they're pretty sharp out of the gate does does that look different is fatigue more of a factor this year um you know over the years we, we've talked ad nauseum about how you know virginia kind of goes pretty hard for you know every minute of the game um are they able to go that hard um, out of the gate have they changed the way they're conditioning have they has anything you know what has been affected by this um so i mean i'm not if they go one and one this this coming week like uh, at this point in the program i'm not panicking um mm -hmm. either way like <laughs> even if they lost a main and beat florida they, it, it is what it is there, there's there's different things going on right now um, if they lose just the main, that's a different conversation. <laughs> it is, but yeah. if they come back and I beat mean, Florida, you know, and you know, yeah. you would look, you know, we'll look it at it as an aberration. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, yeah, I think too, like, 
I think that's true too. And then also just like, um, I completely lost my train of thought. Wow. This is what happens when Brad goes MIA in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, you were here the whole time. Um, it's all about the friends we made. No, I mean, way. I think, yeah, I, I think it'll be an interesting opportunity for them. Um, I mean, I would say it's good for them to get out to a neutral environment, but I think every game is going to sort of be like that too. So, I mean, yeah, it, it'll be a good test and hopefully the games get played as scheduled and, you know, we don't have any problems there and we get to see what this team can do and, you know, go from there and, and go into a, a pretty competitive schedule um, in the weeks to come. In the weeks to come. I think that's my, my big thing, right, is the weeks to come. Um, will there be weeks to come? I mean, for some reason, I, I think that there's two, there's two elements at play here, right? There's the, on the football side, we have seen a lot of cancellations and, um, but they played a lot of games, right? And I mean, kudos to the ACC for continuing to, to move the, the, the games and, and try to stay ahead of it as much as possible. Um, but then the other thing is, is that like, there is this vibe right now that, you know, cases are obviously spiking and, you know, whatever. Um, and so that just does seem there's a, you know, we use that, that analogy all the time, you know, optimism is up by such and such and such. Um, I don't even know if I would put a thing on it, but right now, but I, I do think that like, if dust definitely feels like the vibe right now is like, man, it's going to be really tough to play these games. Um, I, I don't think that as humans, we, we can, I don't think we can do a good job of like extrapolating out. Like if football's having to cancel these games that far in advance and you're going to supposed to play like three in a week, like how many games are teams really going to play? Um, you know, the NCAA tournament doesn't seem like they want to push it back. Um, especially, you know, that makes sense to me given, you know, the potential timelines for vaccines and stuff. But yeah, man, I don't know. I think the, you know, the weeks to come, I think that's the piece. I mean, I like to look at the schedule and I like to think about like what it could be. And I don't think I've ever looked at a Virginia roster and thought, I think this team's going to win a national championship. I don't know if I felt that way about the team that did. Um, I thought they'd have a chance, but I mean, coming off of UMBC, I wasn't going to predict anything, right? Um, this team, I think, is talented enough, experienced enough, program has the pedigree, they know what it takes, like, in any other year, you know? But it's going to be, I don't know, I, I just think it's going to be so much uncertainty, it's hard to... I don't want to say it's hard to get excited because I'm definitely excited, but at the same token, it's just like I understand if folks are struggling with that a little bit. All right, anything else to come for the good of the order before we wrap up this week? I'm sure you guys covered it. Nope. <laughs> uh, someone hit me with the free subscription for Flow. <laughs> Flow Sport. Oh, is that a subscription site? Or, oh, man. <laughs> Great. All right, well. Yeah, yeah and I, as far as I can tell, you can't just buy it for like the one game, which oh, sucks. Lovely. Um, if it was like $2 for a game or something, I'd be like, whatever, that sucks, but I'll do it. Yeah. It's always something. Always something. Well, I feel bad for all the people who have Comcast who haven't been able to watch UVA football, like basically all season long. Um, anyway, if you are somebody who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever it is that you get your shows. Um, and if you're so inclined, give us a rating review helps to get us out in front of more people. And we appreciate that. Now, if you're somebody who's found the pod, hasn't given us a look yet, check us out the website, CapsCorner.com. Let's see, right now, um, Ferber's film room today on, on Lavelle Davis, I thought was really good. As we record this today, you're listening to it tomorrow probably. But anyway, um, he broke down sort of like um, some of the some of the ways that Lavelle um, – who, who was right? I think I was the one. Right? I was, it was me who said Lavelle Davis was going to be good. Anyway, I had made that joke in a few weeks. So um, anyway. Um, yeah, you, you can talk when – Darius Braden catches a touchdown. Whatever, man. My my Lavelle, my Lavelle Davis thing will go down in history. Okay, because y'all y'all acted like I was nuts. Yeah, that anyway. was a good one. And thank you. It makes up it makes up for your Casey Morsell's going to set the world on fire take that I didn't forget about. I, I wait, got the receipts. I, what? Okay, you you it's tell be me. Awkward when, Wick, when Wicks comes back and you gotta and I gotta choose between. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's gonna be the big thing. You gotta you gotta give one man a rose yeah uh, like, that's true figure this thing out well i have plenty of time before that has to happen um also uh let's see we, you know notes from the coordinator call um got stuff from bronco the 321 uh, pro football focus stuff um was really impressed with antonio clary um didn't necessarily think it while i was watching it but man his grades are really strong across the board um so if that I mean if, if you put anything into those you know 
Um, maybe he's going to work out pretty well. Um, and then I, I wrote a column Monday kind of encapsulating just sort of like what I think is the, the ethos of the season, which is like, who cares how? Just get it done, right? Just figure out a way. Um, and that certainly was the case for UVA the last couple of weeks with, you know, how goes crazy and then Cunningham goes crazy, but somehow UVA miss, you know, wins both games. But anyway. All right. I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time as always. I very much appreciate all that they do. So for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorn.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon. Hey.